Dick and Dom in the bungalow, um, they did have one brilliant... Them, them as well. <laughs> they had one brilliant sketch, which was Eminem and Dale, which was Eminem in Emmerdale. I also saw a Twitter video this week of someone walking into a club and looking around. Obviously, it's all being filmed and there's a song playing, people having a good time. Mm. Camera pans up, Dick and Dom DJing. Nice. nice. And the quote, comment was, imagine walking into a club and seeing Dick and Dom DJing. Dick and Dom Don't DJ. have to imagine it anymore because I've just seen it. Just yeah, happened. Watched it. Mm. Shall we? I watched that ironically and I enjoyed it. <laughs> Are you ready, Marcus? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. All right. Mm-hmm. A three, a two. Hot diggity dog, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the preview show on Football Ramble Daily, sponsored by Betway. Arsenal are at home to Newcastle United. Manchester United are away to Chelsea. And dull. Oh, <laughs> you took a breath. You took a breath, I baby. And that messed you right up. Yeah. Silly me. You know what happens you do, when you think? Do whatever you want for the second one, because we're using the first one. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh, dear. The power of the editor's razor. Damn it all. Three. Two. One. Hot diggity dog, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the preview show on Football Ramble Daily, sponsored by Betway. Hey Ramblers, Andy here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, on this week's episode of Ramble On, we thought we'd give you the extended cut of our interview with the excellent former England goalkeeper, Rachel brown Finnis. She came on Jules and Andy earlier this week to discuss the end of Phil Neville's tenure as Lionesses boss and what England can do from here to reach that next level. She's got loads of thoughts about it. It's a really great interview that we know you'll enjoy. And afterwards, we've also squeezed in a little bit of mucking about from last year's Ramble live shows for you to enjoy as well. Cheers and speak to you soon. Um, Rach, hello. Good morning. Um, Good morning, Jules. So last week it was announced that Phil Neville will be leaving his job as the England's woman as the England women's manager next summer, meaning that he will leave at the end of his contract. First of all, what was your reaction to this news when it came out a few days ago? I wasn't surprised. Uh, maybe the timing of the announcement kind of came out of the blue a little bit. Obviously, with there being no football and. Uh, no prospect of certainly international uh, women's football uh, on the horizon. Uh, I suppose it did come out of the blue, but there had to be an announcement at some point because um, you know there was less than well about twelve months left on his on his uh, on his uh, contract. The decision was about to be formally announced by UEFA for the Women's European Championships to be postponed to twenty twenty two, which tied in originally with Phil Neville's. Uh, tenure being up at the end of the Euros 2021, which we were we we're obviously hosting. So I, I I understand it. I do think it's the right decision because uh, Phil Neville has done great. I think he's done excellent things with the Lionesses, took them up to number two in the world uh, as far as rankings. But since that World Cup, when we've been knocked out, it hasn't really worked. And we wanted to be in a really positive place, what would have been heading into this summer's Euros, and we weren't. Simple as that. Uh, momentum had dropped. I imagine confidence will have dropped because we were just simply weren't winning games. And, uh, you know, the trial and error style of Phil Neville did not seem to be working. 
Rachel, what do you think has gone wrong since the, the World Cup? Because it was such a pinnacle, certainly for, for interest in and coverage of women's football in England. And as you say, that momentum was really important. You look at the crowd that turned out at Wembley for the Germany game, that absolutely mm-hmm. enormous crowd. And obviously losing seven out of 11 since has made it more difficult to keep the focus of that interest. Why do you think that Phil Neville couldn't keep that momentum going? What went wrong? Well, I think he made a decision early on in the post-World Cup, which was ultimately the build-up to this European Championships 2021, that he was going to test out new players, uh, so bring in you know, some uncapped players, some young players, try some different players in different positions, Lucy Bronze in midfield as an example. And he's persisted with that. Uh, also his persistence with playing out from the back, which I agree with. I think that is the right thing to do, but he's come under criticism for that. Uh, And there also has to be, you know, certainly in in international football, in all high-level football, the philosophies, the what you practice, the game plan, what you practice in training, what you talk about, what you build up for, once the players are actually on the pitch, they do have to make some decisions for themselves. And playing out from the back is one of those that always kind of, brings up should you do it relentlessly uh, because it's it's the game plan that the manager has, has implemented or should you actually, when it comes to the game, play it as you see it a little bit. So I think Phil Neville has been very stubborn in his uh, attitude to, to the way he wants things done is the way things are going to be done. And I think really should have looked at what the strengths of his group of players are because he has the or had the opportunity to work with the majority of them during the Olympics to get the best out of them, to prepare uh, as Team GB, but to prepare long-term for the Lionesses to be the best they could be as an England team in the Euros. And I think that stubbornness maybe, well, it certainly hasn't worked out with results-wise, Performance-wise, if you look at the She Believes performances compared to a year ago uh, or even two years ago when he first came into, into the hot seat, um, you know, they've been, they've been really lacklustre. I've not known what the game plan was. How are England going to go out and impress themselves upon a team? Even, you know, the likes of Japan, they kind of stuttered past them in the She Believes. Um, against Spain were beaten and and I think justifiably so. You can see the game plan of Japan to to draw comparisons. You could see the game plan of Spain, exactly what they were going to do, how they were going to hurt you. You could see, obviously, the game plan of the USA, how they want to play, what they're exceptional at, how they're going to hurt you, where they're going to hurt you on the pitch. But for me, it was a bit vague as to what England were trying to do. And that, that wasn't just during the She Believes. I feel we've tailed off since the World Cup, and there's been more questions and answers that have come up um, since since that since that World Cup period. As you said, seven out of eleven games lost, and a lack of direction and real clarity in their performances was not good news. Rach, there's been a lot of reaction to the news that Phil Neville will be 
leaving the job as Lioness's manager next summer. And one of the reactions um, that I read that I thought was quite interesting was from the BBC sport journalist Alistair McGowan, who said that Neville's reign feels like a failed experiment. Now, when Phil Neville was first appointed, there was most definitely a mixed reaction from both people working in football, football fans as well. Do you perhaps think that because of his successful playing career that the expectations of what he could do with the Lionesses were perhaps too high? Um, I think the what he'd done in his playing career was really one of the main reasons why the FA wanted him. Uh, it was, you know, obviously he had his coaching badges and his English and I think he was very Gareth Southgate-esque in his demeanour. Um, you know, a top, true, clean professional uh, and was attracted to the FA in that respect. And I think what the FA and what Baroness Sue Campbell um, needed was a huge injection of the profile of women's football. And I think what Phil Neville brought was that. And I think it, it kind of opened the eyes to the mainstream media. Um, and, for instance, Manchester United didn't have a women's team, uh, it was maybe coincidental that he came into to, to reign as England's number one and very soon after Man United decided they were going to have a women's team. But I think he's been quite influential in, in opening the eyes or, or normalising women's football at the top level. So I think, you know, I, I think it was two-pronged from the FA. Um, obviously, his coaching abilities were still relatively unknown uh, in some respects. But what he was bringing for the first time to the Lionesses was an absolutely glimmering former playing career and the ability to bring scenarios from the very, very top level, from the top pressure situations that he could actually relate to the girls, you know, girl, the, the girls who won't have been, had a coach who's been in situations like that. So for me, that those two things were very, very attractive and I understood the reasons why the FA wanted to bring him in. And, you know, that initial uh, spike in performances and certainly our world rankings, uh, you could see the it had the desired effect, um, Phil Neville coming in. And and I, I bet if you talk to any of the Lionesses, they will have learnt so much under the reign of Phil Neville. Um, you know, because those experiences that he's had from uh, working day-to-day under Sir Alex Ferguson and with the, that, you know, that that class of 92, the attitude that they must have displayed on a day-to-day basis towards training, towards professionalism, I think will have given the girls a massive insight as to what it takes to be a, a top, top-level player, uh, both on and off the pitch. But I do think now that it has run dry. Uh, I think Phil Neville will, and this is probably one of the next questions you will ask me, is, uh, is do you mm. think you should step down before the Olympics? And yes, I do. I think what the FA have done now is given themselves a good few months um, ahead, uh, sorry, just over a, over a year ahead before the Olympics, so that in the next few months, I, I, I anticipate Phil Neville to step down, uh, a new coach to come in, an England coach, but who will lead the Team GB team because the English FA are the ones actually uh, taking the lead, financing a lot of... Um, what goes behind the scenes to produce a, a Team GB women's football team. Uh, and I, I, I can't imagine that they won't want uh, the future England manager who will be taking 
the the girls in Euro 2022 to lead the Lionesses, uh, sorry, to lead Team GB in 2021 for the rescheduled Olympics. Now, Rachel, I know football is a series of sliding doors moments, but you think when we go back to the World Cup and we were saying how much interest it, it, it created and how well England did globally. I mean, if we look at the manner of that defeat against the US, and I know the US kind of stumbled trip their way through a lot of the, the knockout rounds and they had a few close shaves against France, for example. Um, the fact that England went out after that Ellen White goal was ruled out by the very narrow VAR decision, uh, Steph Horton missed a penalty. Um do you think it was simply, I, I mean, Phil Neville always struck me as quite an emotional coach at international level. Do you think he just found that really difficult to get over? I'm not sure. I think it, it was such a fine margin. Um, you know, England weren't massively convincing necessarily in in some of the performances leading up to it, but did enough to get over the line. And there were, you know, if it weren't for Ellen White being as, efficient as she was with you know the number of chances that she had number of shots on target and the number of goals she had was absolutely phenomenal uh, in the in the world cup she was our you know our go-to player no doubt and uh, we and what i'm saying is we didn't create that many chances uh, in games but against the usa you know you're not going to get that many chances um and yes we did you know the usa did beat us by the finest of margins at you know a toe over the line of VAR for <laughs> Ellen White's goal to be ruled out. Um, and as you said, Steph Horton's penalty. But when you look at the collective of what the US women's national team are and compare them to the, the Lionesses, um, they are still a step above the Lionesses. Uh, and for all the you know nearly and, and not quite, um, we were still behind them. And I think you know the Lionesses were, would admit that. Um, but it was it was such a it was such a monumental moment. I remember obviously being out um, in France covering it uh, for, for diff- different media outlets and uh, and hearing back at home that, you know, your average football watcher, not male or female, just average football watcher was, was heading down the pub to watch the football and it was the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. That has never happened before. That was a monumental moment. And I think I do think that Phil Neville has been a part of that, like normalising women's football, that it's just football. Uh, the fact that women are playing it kind of makes no difference. It's your England national team and it's a World Cup, so go and watch it. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's he may have been, um, you know, people of maybe not dis, not disliking him, but he's not flavour of the month as he was when he first came in because uh, he's not having that effect. Uh, but I do think he's had a massive impact uh, and he's he kind of was the right person at the right time for me. But now... Um, when we're looking for what do the FA want when they're recruiting the next manager, it's got to be uh, someone who has had those international experiences, has had those won gold medals at Olympics, at World Cups, um, at the very, very top level, and has done it consistently because you want to breed a winning mentality and you want you know that to be all that counts is winning the game, whether you stumble, trip through it, or whether you, you know put on silky performances winning is the be all and end all and nothing but winning matters before we actually get to some of the possible names for the next candidate for the lionesses um as the coach you you mentioned a moment ago that england are still 
one step behind what the USA are. What is that missing thing? Is that down to the manager or is that something else? Oh, it's, do you know, it's so hard. I I lived in, and uh, went to college in the US and the millions and millions of girls that play football, play soccer in the US from, uh, you know, the infrastructure they have there is, is so different and so much bigger than what we have uh, in in uh, in England, that to try and draw comparisons is really difficult. You know, they've had the Olympic Development Programme, so that's across every single state, they have their own Olympic Development Programmes, and that brings out your best footballers and almost puts them, like we have town teams or county teams, um, you know, they, from a young age, from under five or under six, have Olympic development programs. Uh, and then if you look at the college system, so from you can get scholarships to go play in high school if you're a really good soccer player. Um, and then to go to high, uh, to college or university, you get a scholarship and it pays for university, which when I went uh, to university, you know, that scholarship was worth over $150,000. And wow. I'm talking 20 years ago now. Um and that, because you were good at football, you got your education paid for. So it's a huge incentive mm-hmm. nationwide uh, for players to go to university and train and play like a professional. Um, there was only on the women's national team in the World Cup, there was only one player who was in that final squad who hadn't completed uh, her university schooling, so hadn't gone through the college system. Every other player had, had done that. Uh, trained and played as a, a professional for for all of her formative years. So that system is really hard to compete against because, number one, your catchment of the millions of girls from a young age and working up that pyramid um, is really hard to compete against. Then you get to university and, you know, there are scouts nationwide uh, who it's their, you know, it's their... their um, so what they do full time is, is scout for university programs, uh, and some of those university athletic directors they earn millions um, of, of dollars a year as their salary to get the best players at their university. So it's a massive business, is what I'm saying. So as far as how many girls are actually playing soccer in the US compared to how many girls are playing football here in the, in, in England, it's really that you know that's a big disadvantage, but one we just have to get over, and I think. The pool of players, we will never have the same size of pool of players in England as the US do um, over there. So putting that to one side, because you can't kind of compare those two, we have to make the best of what we we have. And we have a very elite level. Um, now we have the Women's Super League that's in its second year of, of being fully professional. Uh, that is a massive improvement. The girls can do nothing else other than train and play to be a professional player and you can't underestimate what difference that makes. Um, and to for that only to be in its second year, um, for our top England players to have only been fully professional really for uh, two years, you know, we are playing catch-up. So I think that's a massive difference. So when it then comes to what other tweaks can you make, yes, we need a head coach um, that has been there, done it, who sees, breathes, knows those subtle kind of intuitions that they've gained from their experience of working with the best players in the world, the most professional players in the world, not just their physical capabilities, the physical capacities, their mental states, their mental capabilities. You know, what do you need to think like? What do you need to eat like? 
what is your attitude to every single second of every single training um, session to every single match to be a winner collectively as well. You know, that's I'm talking individually and collectively. I think one of the biggest things or biggest steps towards changing that that the FA have made recently have been the signing of Dawn Scott, the uh, sports scientist from the US Women's National Team. Uh, I worked with Dawn when she was the uh, the sports scientist for, for England when we first ever had a sports scientist. She was the first one and she was implementing, you know, kind of groundbreaking stuff at the time and was headhunted by the US Women's National Team and I think worked there for well over 10 years and it took them to be not just winners, but perennial winners, you know, been the number one for years, won Olympic golds, won gold medals at World Cups time and time and time again, expect to win every single game. Now we've brought her back to work with the Lionesses. And I think she's one of the first things in that next level transformation of this current crop of England Lionesses from great a, a good team, to a great team and a great team that will win and continue winning. So when we talk about successes, I mean, you mentioned the US connection there. Jill Ellis Mm -hmm. is one of the candidates that a lot of people are are, are mentioning. What about Emma Hayes? It didn't seem quite right. She didn't really seem to want the job last time around. Is there any chance of convincing her this time? (laughs) She's a brilliant coach and a brilliant manager, Emma Hayes. Absolutely no doubt in that. It's whether it's the right time for her personally. You know, she's got a, a two-year-old son that she has to consider. She's starting off with the transformation uh, of, of Chelsea. You know, they've just uh, got gained their own premises, their own ground. She's built uh, a staff that she's proud of that is... is um, innovative, uh, that are getting the best out of their players. The work she's doing, you know, some of it is well-documented, some of it's not. The work she's doing is unparalleled for me in this league, at least, and internationally, um, what she's doing with some of the players. You know, she's really cutting edge in what she's doing with the players and what she wants to do and how she's building Chelsea. Um, so I can't see that she would want to leave that mid-process, which is what I think it is. Um, Chelsea are looking like the likely team to win the Women's Super League, um, although it's obviously on hold at the moment um, for next season. So I, I, I think she's more than capable of leading the Lionesses, but does she see it fitting in right now? Probably not. And I, I don't want to speak on her behalf because I haven't spoken to her about it, but that's just my perception. Um, I think we do need someone who, like, I think Jill Ellis would be a perfect fit. Uh, she's not liked by everyone as far as when she was with the US Women's National Team. Not all the players liked her, but, you know, she's said on many occasions, I'm not here to be liked. You know, I'm here to get the best out of my players, to be ruthless, to make unpopular decisions if I think that's best for the team um, and you know one of those uh, just to kind of paint a picture of maybe what she's like she basically binned off Hope Solo who was um, you know an iconic goalkeeper for the US Women's National Team but I think you know putting all the kind of smoke screens aside she decided that she wasn't healthy for the US Women's National Team and, uh, and basically got rid of her 
Um, so she's quite happy to make huge decisions, uh, you know, historical decisions, really, in some ways, for the betterment of the team. So I do think she's someone who knows exactly what it takes, has been in that environment for such a long time, to, to know what to expect from elite level players, to know what to expect from players who only expect to win. And I think that's the next thing that we need is someone who knows what it feels like to be inside of that camp, who knows what it feels like to expect to win every single match, to go out and be ruthless and to crush teams, uh, to have a definitive game plan. Um because you could see how the US, not just how they played, but how they actually executed the game plan. You know, at 10 minutes of a wave of, of ridiculous pressure, and then they would back off, soak it up, kind of regen- regenerate, uh, get some, get a bit of a breather in. Five minutes later, go again, 10 minutes of crushing pressure, and it would kill teams. Um, but, you know, it was brilliant to see that really clear-cut game plan and and to be really blown away with how they would execute that. You could see that that comes from the coach, that she is, she's got that game plan. She's drilled it into the players. The players completely believed in what she was doing, what she wanted to do. Uh, and they, you know, put their necks on the line to execute it to the T. And I think if we had a, a manager like that, who could instill such belief in those players, such drive in the players, that that would take us to the next level. It's that winning mentality, isn't it? There's no doubting that Jill Ellis is one of the standout candidates, but there's been a couple of other names that have really interested me that have been thrown into the hat as well, Rachel. Just your thoughts on potentially Nick Cushing, who is one of the most successful managers in women's football, now obviously left Manchester City to go and coach out in America. And also Casey Stoney, former England captain. She's the current Manchester United manager, but does she have enough experience to take on the England job? Could you see any one like that taking over instead of say a big name like Jalelis? Well, I, I don't doubt the qualities that both those coaches certainly, you know, Nick Cushing's been in and around the, the league for, for a long time and has, has had sort of, I suppose, unparalleled success uh, with Manchester City. But what I want from an England manager is someone who's been there and done it before, someone who knows what it felt like to win a gold medal, to know what it took to win a gold medal, to become a perennial winner, to win every single game. Someone who's been in that and, and knew what it what the vibe felt like and so therefore knows how to recreate that. Now, I'm not saying that Casey Stoney hasn't felt that and had that certainly in a manager, managerial career with Manchester United because you know they were very successful, certainly in the championship in the first um, year. And uh, in the second year, they had a lot of success and Chelsea certainly go in expecting to win every single game. So they do have that vibe. But international level is different as far as the time that you get with the players. Um, is, is a very different setup. Um, how, how you can then maybe affect the players based on, you know, they go back to clubs for the majority of the time and they, they come into camp for a, an allotted amount of time. Um, I'm not sure... In my opinion, it has to be someone, as I've said, who's been there and done it at international level because doing it on a day-to-day basis at club level, I think it is both Emma Hayes, Nick Cushing and Casey Stoney have been very successful at that. 
but it, there's a different art, I imagine, to doing it at international level when you have limited access to your players. Um, again, to draw to draw kind of parallels with the US Women's National Team and how uh, they set up, they actually go into camp for months. Uh, they spend more time with their women's national team than they do with their individual clubs, um, which it would be difficult. And I imagine if Jill Ellis would come into the job, would be a negotiation that she would have with the FAs as far as the international schedules um, and the the maybe doing things differently. Um, you know, because traditionally the FA, both on the men's side and, and the women's side, you play for your club and that's, you know, where you earn most of your money, um, certainly on the men's side. And you come to your national team, you know, for a week heading uh, into a game or heading into a, a tournament. Well, the US women's national team do it very differently. You know, the the domestic side of it uh, is, is almost secondary to international as, as far as the time that they spend together. But they have the success because of that. So it'd be interesting, actually, if you do bring in someone like Jill Ellis, someone who's lived by a very different schedule when it comes to, you know, what you expect of an international manager, um, you know, is possibly, what, 10, 12, 15 weeks a year normally in camp, um, as a, say, as say, as an England manager. Well, that is very, very different if you are the women's US Women's National Team manager. Would she, if she came into post, bring in, an alternative viewpoint as to how and what you need to do at how many weeks you have to actually be together for Um, would she hold it almost like as a boot camp I think it'd be really interesting because it's a different perspective of what it takes to to become that winner whereas you know the likes of Emma Hayes Nick Cushing Casey Stoney as I said I think are brilliant coaches and certainly brilliant managers but have not Kate I know uh, sorry Emma Hayes has worked in the U.S. Um, but as far as with the US Women's National Team and what their, their uh, structure as to what they do to become the winners that they've become is very, very different. So I think it'd be quite exciting for someone with different expectations of, of an FA uh, to come in and take that post. Paul Merson is worried about Arsenal. Oh, no. <laughs> It fucking makes a change from Arsene being worried about him. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. That's a good thing. Very true indeed. He thinks that Unai Wenger, see what he's done there, mm. is uh, running things at the club, but nothing's changed, and it's the same old Arsenal. It's all too relaxed, it's all too cosy, players on big wages, and uh, they're going nowhere. That's what poor old Paul thinks about poor old Arsenal, uh, quite frankly. Um, Paul Merson does say a lot of things, doesn't he? he well, quite, yes, he's a I've got, I've got a few down here, actually, that he said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you keep walking past the barbers, eventually you'll get a haircut. <laughs> That's one of Paul's. <laughs> well, yeah. um, Everton are literally a bag of revels. <laughs> and uh, my personal favourite, it's difficult to play when your lung comes out of your air. Yeah. <laughs> he's right, isn't he? He is right. <laughs> hard to see what he's trying to say with that. It really is. <laughs> I mean, Sky, Sky Sports pundits can come out with the odd sort of quote here and there, can't they? Do you remember when Jamie Redknapp, when he was talking about Kasper Schmeichel, said, oh, he's a great goalkeeper, Kasper Schmeichel. I mean, Peter Schmeichel will, will be a real father figure for him. He'll be a real <laughs> father figure. <laughs> he, um, he, also, he also said about um, esteemed author Michael Owen, Richard, I played with Michael Owen when, when he was a youngster and he was literally a greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> Any Arsenal fans in? Yeah. 
Well, perhaps Arsenal should take a leaf out of uh, Brazilian club Santos president Jose Perez's book when he said this, uh, when Santos, it was getting a bit relaxed there at the club, he said, Santos can no longer be a teat. A teat with 420 sucklings sucking out its milk. There's not enough milk, people. This is an excellent analogy. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> I mean, we'd all like to be our own critic, wouldn't we? Yes. Yeah. This is an excellent show. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely I don't right. want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> don't put ideas Seriously. in people's heads, yeah. Peter. No reference. We need to get to half-time for that. Um, well, speaking of uh, milk, if you will, come to, me, come to, come to Turkey with me. Um, there, was a, there was a president of a club out there. He sold 18 youth team players and bought 10 goats with the money. <laughs> <laughs> and this chap said, it makes sense. <laughs> we will get four to five thousand lira profit from the milk and they breed so at the end of six years we'll have 140 of them these goats are in the best interests of this club <laughs> <laughs> he's a top man oh my, i'm glad they don't have a women's team <laughs> oh. <Is it> awful <laughs> no pete carry on, carry on. It's i can see it now baby <sighs> if Imagine seeing a friend who supported that little bit of the bubbly. Oh, yeah. yeah, very good. A um, little bit of the milky. Yeah. Imagine, little bit of the booby. Come yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> Imagine yeah. you meet your mate you haven't seen for ages and he supports that team. How are your team getting on? More of a dairy farm these days. That's <laughs> all you expect. That's all you expect. I, I think he's, he heard that people, are, people have called Messi the goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll get him on that one. Um, so, yes, top man. Uh, speaking of top men, Diego Maradona's back in business. Hey. Hey. He's back. He was unveiled as the, the manager of Gymnasia a few weeks ago. The club had lost four out of five and were rock bottom when Diego took over. He's obviously the man you call in a time of crisis. <laughs> Strong and steady leadership. He's a man is, you call in a time of crisis need. if that crisis is that you've run out of drugs. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he said, uh, it, I mean, his first press conference when he was unveiled new manager, he promised that he wouldn't miss one training session. <laughs> Guess what happened the next day? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm sure he's true to his work, because by now he will have missed loads of training sessions. <laughs> yes. They missed it. Argentina missed a training session at the World Cup when he was in charge. Yeah, there was, they moved, they, first of all, in 2010, they moved training sessions back so they started I think at midday and then when they had a bit of footage of yeah. a, an Argentinian training session on the Diego Maradona <laughs> right. it was just them taking free kicks yeah. and, and Diego had a cigar on <laughs> <laughs> it does what he wants take the edge off <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I mean yeah so can you imagine if a new manager said I'm not going to miss one training team that's a given really. This was a Stakhanov production.